What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 149 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's up, brother? How about uh, how about boxing in 2017, huh? Yeah, man, it's on Twitter and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude, the NFL runs their pilot program. Who would have ever thought that the first boxing broadcast live on Twitter would follow less than a year later? Um, it came out of nowhere, too. I mean, what they, you'd think they'd like, hey, announce this months before, get something going behind it. I, you know, I don't care. They offered it. It was great. If I want to step away from my TV, I got the fight right on my phone. Beautiful stream. Showtime did it right. I'll give him credit, man. Oh, dude, it was awesome to not have to DVR the fight and fast forward through the bullshit. Like, I just left it on. And when I was like, hey, I'm going to go outside and grill a steak because I made a vicious bone-in ribeye <laughs> um, at about 11 o'clock that night. I was like, I went outside, stood out there by the grill for 20 minutes, had it on Twitter. It was seamless. It was fantastic. It was a huge step for boxing. And while Steven Espinoza could have saved us all the uh, unnecessary trolling, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know you're getting that. Yeah. He can't I, help himself. I, you know, I guess he made a uh, big emphatic statement to HBO. He did. HBO better uh, better hop on that train because they're, they're starting to fall behind, man. Peter Nelson on notice, for sure. Yeah. All right. Welcome to episode 149 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. And follow Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings. 81 drop by the boxing for all the ways to subscribe to the podcast leave us a review on itunes we greatly appreciate it um we got some exciting guests coming up on episode 150 and moving forward we're not going to reveal their identities yet but we have been getting a lot of feedback from all of our listeners out there to the boxing rant and the tale of the tape boxing podcast about getting some of uh the guys that they know and respect in the industry on here to dice it up a little bit about professional prize fighting. Yeah, ne- next, uh, I'll say, month and a half should be pretty interesting. We've got some really, really good guests. Yeah, and you know what? And it's all because of a really, really strong first quarter of 2017 that is now bleeding into the first half of 2017. Yeah, I cannot remember a start to the year for boxing. You know, in the last five years, we haven't had one like this. And uh in the back of your mind, it kind of makes you a little nervous that it's all going <laughs> to, is it all going to come crumbling down? Fortunately, <laughs> I think there's enough in place right now that if some of it did, um, it would still be better than the last uh, two or three years in boxing. That's well, for sure. I mean, yeah, they've already left 2016 in the fucking dust. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's an exciting time in boxing. We've always only wanted this for boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, Vin, what are we going to do with ourselves if we can't be so cynical all the time? I can't complain. Oh, there's plenty to complain about. <laughs> Amir Khan's still around, Ken. Oh, absolutely. Danny Garcia's throwing his hat in the ring next weekend. I'll be complaining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And they will definitely uh, eke their way into this episode today. <laughs> All right. So uh, we got a little preview and a post-fight. Adrian Broner was in action this weekend. We will get to the post-fight action from Cincinnati, but we are going to go ahead and kick episode 149 off with a preview of the headlining fight this Saturday night. From this point forward, man, it is a busy boxing season and has been the tradition. Let's be honest. There's been good fights prior to the first appearance of the year by Deontay Wilder. But it's kind of and it kind of has become a boxing tradition nobody really talks about. Deontay Wilder kind of marks the beginning of the season. Yeah, he has. This is probably the third time he's fought early in the year. Yeah. Three years in a row. Yeah. You know, and he returns coming off of injury um, in Birmingham, Alabama. Smart decision. He will be on the PBC on Fox against former University of Southern California Trojan. Yes, they didn't have a boxing program. We're talking about the football team. This ain't Seth Mitchell, baby. <laughs> no, it's not. He might be Seth Mitchell 2.0. <laughs> they may result in that. It uh, Gerald Washington's first big shot here. Hey, he's getting paid. I know that. I guess that performance against Amir Mansour paid off, huh? <laughs> You back up, you go back to back, <laughs> Mansour and uh, and fast Eddie Chambers boy looking like a you know just a straight dynamo in the oh, ring. Yeah, I mean, God, Ken, I, you know, as much as Gerald Washington is just not good. I mean, he's just a completely unpolished heavyweight. He's just a completely unpolished boxer. Period. He hasn't been around the sport long enough. You don't jump into the sport in your mid twenties or early 20s, and expect to compete at the highest level. Uh, that's happened a few times throughout history. Uh, 
earliest I can think of and remember is Sergio Martinez. Yeah. And there ain't too many Sergio Martinez's just walking around the earth that were made to be boxers and just didn't know it until they were 20. But Sergio was getting his licks over in Spain, just nobody knew about it. Right, right, right. And, and Gerald Washington is just, these football players converted and converted into <laughs> fighters just never works, man. It doesn't work. No. They're not smooth enough. They're just, this guy is so robotic mm-hmm. and so boring i mean in every sense of the word boring this guy is it but like i've said before in the previous couple episodes that we've talked about especially off the absence deontay wilder is vulnerable period against anybody so i don't care how bad you think gerald washington is and i think he's really bad (laughs) he has a fighting chance against deontay wilder and shouldn't based on you know, you look at it on paper, 37-0, 36 knockouts against 16-0-1 with 10 knockouts or whatever, Gerald Washington. It shouldn't be close, and the odds say it shouldn't be close. But people who know and watch Deontay Wilder, you always know there's that fucking chance, Ken. <laughs> there's that chance. Them, them fucking legs just, they fold in half. What are the odds on this fight? Um, let's see. Washington's plus 950. He is, his odds are higher than Connor McGregor's against Floyd Mayweather right now. <laughs> List, what listed what on, are McGregor's? I think McGregor's plus eight fifty. Dude, it's it's better than the odds that Jacobs has against Golovkin. Is is he still plus one thousand? No, no, he's plus five seventy five oh, or okay. five twenty five. So it, it moved quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, it's minus eight hundred five twenty five. Yeah, it makes about sense. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald Washington, though, dude. If this fight happens immediately after the Arthur Spielka fight. I mean, I'm talking about the Wilder goes through this guy in probably three or four rounds because Gerald Washington is no better than the 35 out of 37 opponents outside of Berman Stavern and Arthur Spielka yeah. that Deontay's been in the ring with. I mean, to be honest, Gerald Washington's resume with only 16 fights or whatever it is is not really that much worse than Deontay Wilder's. <laughs> He's just been in the ring less. I mean, uh, uh, would you say uh, Amir Mansour is almost equivalent to Ber- uh, Berman Stavern? A, a slightly notch or two lower, but it's negligible difference there. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, this fight physically in the ring when these guys stand toe-to-toe, I mean, these guys are going to be looking at each other's eyes. Yeah. You know, Gerald Washington is a big Dude. Oh, he's physically bigger. But I tell you what, man, Gerald Washington has serious aerobic problems. This oh. guy cannot, dude, he'll go five rounds putting forth minimal, skillless effort. Yeah, you're talking 20 punches around. One twos, probably 15 of them are jabs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a more athletic version of Charles Martin, but this isn't the unscathed hands of Anthony Joshua coming across at him. Look, it is going to be so enticing for Deontay Wilder to try to take this mark out as early as possible. And if he has any second doubts in his head, that may be to his benefit. Because if he goes out there, balls to the wall, and say, I'm going to blitz this guy, his, his, his natural reaction to his ability to just blast Gerald Washington out there like 35 opponents out of his 37 before, that is probably going to cause a hairpin trigger reaction with a right hand. He's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to knock this guy out with a left hook. No. It's going to be that right hand. And that's what scares me is that this guy is too much of a mark. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If Gerald, Wa- no, Gerald Washington has the ability to stink it out, if that coupled with the reluctance from Deontay Wilder, you're looking at one of the worst fights of the year. People well, are just assumed because Gerald Washington is so bad that this thing is just going to result in one of these epic Ninth round esque Spielka knockouts. I don't see it. I, I I really don't. As a matter of fact, I think the way Gerald Washington fights sets up perfect for Deontay Wilder in this particular fight because he doesn't have to do that much work. I don't think there's any. Uh, he, I'll tell you what. He'd put a lot of questions to bed, would Wilder, if he knocked Washington out with the right hand and walked away from the fight fine. Yeah. But if he does what I think he's going to do, what I think comes of this fight, which is. He's got, he doesn't. He knows he doesn't have to do that much work to beat Washington, so you're, I think you're going to have even more questions. You're going to see less right hands if that's the case. And at least for me and 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 you and other people that pay attention, there's going to be a question marks coming out of that fight. You know, is he protecting that right hand? Is is he clearly not throwing it the way he was throwing it before? Because that's it. 
I, you know, I don't hear that many people talking about it as much as we do. Maybe we're just obsessive with it. But to me, it's a fucking big deal, man. I mean, you're talking three broken hands. And your only punch in the bag. Right. That's that. That's hit, your eraser. Yeah. Him without that punch is like, uh, what was it? It's like Aaron never without the blues. No, <laughs> I should have never go platinum. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I'd, look, you can't say it any better than that. Deontay Wilder is a, is a flawed fighter. Okay. He is the, I guess, the king of the prospect champions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been treated with kid gloves to me, his entire career, which we have gone over time and time again. And I know it's very difficult for some people to understand the fact that you can have one of your 10 favorite fighters to watch in boxing fall into the category of suspect like Deontay Wilder is. Yeah. Favorite and frustrating. He's in both categories. He is. And he deserves both praise. Yeah. I, I, I've I haven't talked to anybody that is of sound mind and body that does not like to watch Deontay Wilder fight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but these are the realities that we deal with. We talked about it before about how everybody that you know is very close to Deontay Wilder's camp and reports on it all the time. Uh, you know, right after he broke his hand for the third time, they're like, "Oh yeah, first fight back in 2017 is going to be Anthony Joshua." Mm-hmm. It's a different tone now. Now Wilder's coming out and saying, yeah, after this one, I think, uh, you know, Joseph Parker, and then I'm going to close the year with Anthony Joshua. Look, if he, like you said, knocks out Gerald Washington with a devastating right, his hand is fine, and that's the path he want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say, Deontay, you better watch out for that right hand. Yeah. I'm going to say go for it. Absolutely. You know, but the realities are this. I think you're right. I, you know. He's going to have to take a risk to get to Gerald Washington. If he's willing to take it, I'm willing to watch it. But don't be surprised if you don't see Deontay Wilder back in the ring until this time in 2018, opening up the next boxing season. No, I would not be surprised at all because, look, they got, you know, as young and and, and he's unbeaten as this kid is and and as much of a draw as he is, uh, the, the clock is ticking. He's, he's 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 over thirty now, man. Yeah, and not even not even just that. It's just anybody around him. They everybody that's associated with Deontay Wilder knows this ride is coming to an end, and they've gotten to a point in his career where there's not too many fucking side paths to go down to that are safe <laughs> anymore. No, there's no you know pass pass here free. You broke your hand three times against bums. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> And it's good. I think it's going to end up working to the fans' favors. He's going to get some big fights here. His next couple fights are going to be big. He made some comment this this uh, past couple days ago, maybe, uh, about him and him and Joshua. He sees him and Joshua as a Ali Frazier type thing. Hmm. Really, <laughs> it's a Ali Frazier type thing. Two of the top five heavyweights of all time yeah probably one two in some people's mind the most respected rivalry in the history of boxing <laughs> yeah yeah yep yep uh i'm gonna go i'm gonna le- look i'll give it a respected rivalry th- category okay i'll give him that part of it i said it's, i'm gonna go more fucking gaudy ward i said it's <laughs> i said i quote tweeted the article and said uh i, I think it's more uh david price tony thompson-esque but <laughs> to each his own <laughs> <laughs> anybody uh anybody been donating to the uh, wheelchair fund for Mrs. Thompson? <laughs> oh man. All right, so let's get back to the fight. Yeah. Deontay Wilder versus Gerald Washington. Vince, what is your prediction? I'm going to predict that Deontay Wilder wins a rather boring 12-round majority decision. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Look, don't get it mistaken in our constant uh, conversation about Deontay Wilder's skills, where he's going, where he's from. Don't get any of that mistaken. Deontay Wilder can beat Gerald Washington with just his left hand. Probably. Okay? So that's not really going to be the issue here for me. It's I don't think Deontay Wilder knows how to fight any other way. Berman Stavern forced him to fight the way that he did because Berman Stavern kept lunging forward, couldn't cut off the ring, mm-hmm. kept Deontay moving to his detriment. Brought out a jab we had never seen before. Is that what we'll see? Will we see a jab fest? Because Deontay Wilder could just jab him to death and win it. I don't think Deontay Wilder knows any better. I think for as flawed as he is, for as questionable as his resume is, the path he's taken and how protected he is, Deontay's a baller. 
Deontay fights a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> he fights a way that has gotten him Takes to chances. where he's at. Yeah. It is the myth. It is the legend. It is the unproven Deontay Wilder. That's right. what it is. Yeah. And I don't I and I, and honestly I think he is going to try to blitz Gerald Washington and he's going to take that 50-50 chance that his hand breaks or it doesn't break. Right. Hopefully that's a risky chance, boy, although he did get 5 million dollars for free. He did. He did. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, victorious in the courtroom, no doubt. Um maybe because he does have good people in his corner. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Maybe he has is learning more of a setup against a very basic and vanilla guy with no experience in Gerald Washington. Maybe him and his coach are working on a you know a little tee it up, you know, put it on the tee and whack it out there where he can finish with his left hand. Mm-hmm. We did see that right was completely atrophied after the muscle tear, after the handbrake. He was only practicing with his left. Let's hope that it was good practice and that yeah. he learned something because he's going to need it in this fight regardless of how inept to Gerald Washington is. Um, my prediction for this fight, Deontay Wilder sells out. And with all my cynicism around it, around his hand, and I think it looks like mincemeat, it comes out on top. His hand survives a six-round knockout, Deontay Wilder. So what you're telling me is, is I donated my $60 that I bet on Gerald Washington Gerald Washington to win 535 I believe it was. No, that's the bet. <laughs> <laughs> You put 60 on it? I put 60 on it. I had a little little money to play with, so. No, that's the bet. Yeah. I'm not telling you. We're not giving betting advice here. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, you got to go where the money is, and right? And you know what's funny, Vin? All the heat we get when we pick them wrong. I mean, I could not have nailed that fucking Broner fight more on the head. I no. said, there's going to be one that goes in Granados' favor, but guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen? Yeah. It's going to be Adrian Broner by split decision. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, Deontay Wilder versus Gerald Washington. I'm going to be watching. Hey, luckily the fight before it uh, will have you tuned in. What do you think about Jarrett Hurd and Tony Harrison and the new stakes with this as it's now for the vacant IBF junior middleweight title? Yeah, I, I, here's what I think. I think I really like Jarrett Hurd a lot, but I think people might be kind of getting just a little bit ahead of, ahead of themselves with what they're expecting from him. Not that I think Tony Harrison is great. But Tony Harrison is quick enough, skilled enough of a boxer that, you know, I, I think he gives Jarrett Hurd some new looks in the ring that's going to have to cause him to do different things and get bring his skills up to a different level. Does he have that? I don't know. I, I fully expect Jarrett Hurd to win this fight, but I, I think it's a lot closer than people think. You know, I, I saw the uh, Breadman tweeted today. People are are disrespecting this matchup. He thinks it's a 50-50 fight. I don't think it's far from that, but I I think Hurd comes away with the win. Yeah, I mean, look, Tony Harrison has shown to be chinny. He's shown to gas out a little bit. Mm -hmm. He's shown to put a little bit too much effort into his uh, bringing the persona into the ring. Oh, the persona got way ahead of the fighter for him. (laughs) He headlined yeah. too many Friday night fights at the, towards the end with ESPN. Yeah. And he was the, oh, dude, he headlined like three times a year, it seemed like. Oh, dude. And he was coming out 14-0, and 16-0. <laughs> just Teddy uh, Teddy Atlas was getting a little, little tired of it towards the end, too. Yeah, well, Teddy Atlas has Errol Spence ranked 10th on the pound-for-pound pound list. <laughs> hey, don't make fun of Teddy Atlas, uh, now. You'll make got, people mad, yeah, Ken. Teddy Defenders out there. Used to work for him. He used to be like Rocky and Rocky won. You know what I mean? It's just, I'll break your thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, you know, back to the fight. Look, Jarrett Hurd and Tony Harrison, yes, this this is on paper at 50-50. Their experience levels are very different. There were a lot of, of questions about Jarrett Hurd and the direction that he was going to be taking, um, you know, coming out of his younger years. Now it's pretty clear that this guy, even though his experience level is not as extensive as some, it's I, I think it's enough in this case against Tony Harrison. And I think what Jarrett Hurd really possesses more than anything, he possesses that, at least so far, he has a reputation of being a very calm fighter in the ring. Oh, yeah. You know, very uh, methodical. He can process things. He's able to slow it down for himself in the ring. Now, that's all fine and good at the level that we, you know, the Frank Galarza level, mm. So you know, to this point. I'm as optimistic as anybody on this guy, but this will be a test for him. And it's not that it's just Tony Harrison is a good athletic fighter. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. 
But now the vacant IBF 154-pound strap gets thrown on top of this thing at the last minute. Yeah. Right? So with that kind of pressure, your biggest fight against your best competition so far, now for a title that's coming probably a year earlier than you expected. Packed arena. Packed arena. What does is Jarrett Hurd able to live up to the own reputation that has been, uh, you know, rightfully earned so far about yeah. being a calm fighter that can create riddles that have been difficult for fighters to solve? I think that all those things combined, I don't think the the stage of this fight's going to feel any bigger to him. The crowd may be a little bit louder, but I honestly think that Jarrett Hurd's going to show us how you how you prepare meat before you throw it on the grill <laughs> i mean I, you know what i mean it's how right. you, it's how you treat it right. don't just throw it on there without with you know with just some salt and pepper on it right. you know treat it properly yeah and i think that that's what he's going to do he's going to tenderize tony harrison um and then he's going to cook it medium rare and finish it i mean i think that this fight is going to be jared heard answering all of the expectations, it's not loud, it's not crazy, and not a lot of people still know about Jared Hurd. Mm-hmm. This is his opportunity, man, and I think that his demeanor will serve him well, and that will be the difference in this fight. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue with you on outcome there. I, th- I think Jared Hurd wins this fight. I just think there's, there's spots in this fight where he has to figure some things out because he's in, he's in with a guy that's just as athletic and quick as he is that will be able to counter him. Jared Hurd leaves holes. He's not the perfect fighter. You know, in, in his offensive attack, what he is is he's kind of a guy that he's got his own kind of rhythm, and he's very, very fucking smooth with it and kind of just does it. It, it, it just seems nonchalant and just comes to him. He's like a, a free-flowing fighter. Like James the Gale if he wasn't on, on Adderall. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> he's kind of, yeah, a very similar style to the Gale. It's something that, you know, Tony Harrison himself is going to have to get used to. But with a guy like that, you know, a good jab, good boxing can at least I, – I think Tony Harrison can win three, four, maybe even five rounds in this fight. And I think it goes 12 rounds. But I think Jared Hurd clearly wins the the decision, whether it's majority or split or whatever. You're going to come out of this fight saying Jared Hurd was the better fighter. I agree with your end uh, result there. I mean, you know, look, that will be the conclusion. But I think it comes at uh, Tony Harrison's weak chin's expense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm calling for an eighth-round knockout. I can see that. All right, so Jarrett Hurd versus Tony Harrison. This is a fight that we've been very excited for. Now it's for all the marbles Yeah, for two guys. Not that Tony Harrison necessarily deserves this shot, but if you were ever to put a belt up for two young, hungry guys in that division, you know what, Tony... Tony Harrison may have eaten some humble pie. Maybe it'll serve him well. Maybe he's getting some better sparring in for this fight, but I'm not sure you can replicate a guy that, one, doesn't have that much film on him. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. And does have that 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 unorthodox style. Um, let's see if the calm heads will prevail. Yeah. Because I think that, that's what wins the day. All right, let's get to this post-fight, man. This past Saturday night on Showtime, we talked about it in the intro. A broadcast live to the world on Twitter. How about that? Hell of a feat for... Boxing. Yes. I mean, I I was as cynical as anybody and reluctant as anybody when it was announced. I just quote tweeted it and plainly said, if they can pull this off with the same execution that the NFL did, just a seamless, nice HD product, right? If you got Wi-Fi at your house that you can connect your phone to, listen, I'm all for it. Let's see them pull this off. But too many times have we seen people try to make launches to streaming video that have been epic fails and boxing is full of epic fails so that trend would have told me it would have been that but then it was quite the contrary oh it was awesome it was beautiful beautiful hd stream uh one of the best streams i've i've ever streamed my friend (laughs) (laughs) even after like 12 beers uh maybe not that (laughs) not as clear as that stream. not as clear not as stinky but (laughs) (laughs) oh man that is awesome yeah, no, dude, it made for a great viewing experience because you didn't feel like pinned to your couch. You didn't, you know, there's no commercials on Showtime anyways, but you get all the vignettes and the montages and, the, you know, the interviews with the people that are ringside that end up being total disasters well, 99% of the time. Think about how many times you don't do something on a Saturday or a Saturday night that you probably might have done, but you're like, fuck, I got to watch this fight. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can, you can fuck it. If I can watch it on my phone, uh, yeah. You know, obviously watching it on your phone isn't the way you want to watch every fight, 
But if that's how I have to watch a fight and I get to watch it in HD, yeah. fuck yes. Please. But at that, but at that time of night, you might be on your way home and in the car and, you know, and want something to watch. And you're like, I'll prop it up on the dash and call Uber <laughs> and let Showtime on Twitter drive you home. Right. <laughs> no, nah, it was great, man. I, you know, they did a good job. Um, Adrian Broner versus Adrian Granados. This fight riddled with seemingly, the, uh, seemingly, seemingly. Now, it, it was exactly the pattern that Adrian Broner has been following over the last three years. A guy whose career has fallen into disrepair. It, it, it's not for a lack of talent. It's for a lack of interest. It's for a lack of of clear perception on one's ability and where they actually stand. He created a persona in an, an era of brand making where that is the number one priority of a lot of athletes now nowadays. He let the brand and the persona sort of consume his abilities. And now we see a guy three years later, two belts dropped on the scale, an inability to get back down to a weight that he could easily make if he was dedicated at 135 pounds, mm-hmm. can't make 140, fighting guys after a loss and his opponent after a loss for vacant belts, then losing it on the scale. It's been riddled with an undisciplined, unfocused waste of talent, Um you know, it's 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 kind of engulfed everything. Mark Kriegel brought back in. I had no idea what was up with the Steve Jobs turtleneck and that weirdly sort of shaped, like almost looked like a character or a creature from a movie. The way he had his fucking like just ridiculous goatee. He, it's almost like, dude, the hair was so short and the line was so defined on that fucking thing that it looked like he almost had it waxed. And it was on the inside of the outs uh, of the outer corners of his mouth. I don't know how they do it, man. I'm just like, <laughs> Kriegel. I mean, it was one of the worst turtleneck shots of all time, and they bring him back. And Adrian Broner, I think it was more honest than I think I've ever seen him before. Mm-hmm. But the honest Broner kind of reminds me of like a seven-year-old kid. Oh, honest Broner sucks. If we're going to get honest Broner, then I'm out. I mean, didn't it feel like Mark Kriegel was talking to a child? It did. It, it, yeah, and if I'm Broner, I feel like they're, they keep trying to roll this out. It's it's condescending. Hey, hey, people watch because I am a trainer. Yeah, I'm a lazy son of a bitch. Right. But you, you realize people tune in because more than half of them probably want to see me lose. And You know, I for a guy that tried to emulate and, and take the Floyd Mayweather blueprint, he took everything, Ken. He took the whole bag of tricks. Except ex- hard work. Except, except somewhere along the line, hard work and dedication fell out the bag. And that's the most important part of it. Um, you, you can try to be Floyd Mayweather all you want, but Floyd Mayweather's ass, can, I can guarantee you, was working harder than anybody in the sport. You don't become that good. You're not born that good. It's hard work and dedication. As, as corny as that fucking line became with all the 24-7s and all accesses, uh, it, it was truth, and Broner did not take that part with him, and but it's clear. Most people can't get past the fact that, you know, there's a lot of complaining about the way Floyd, May, you know, Floyd Mayweather, you know, utilized his advantages, utilized, you know, his A-side bargaining chip all the time. I think the I think he the, never do no shit like Broner does. No, but but, but <laughs> well, that's, I am Marquez, but yeah, well, <laughs> you know, look, regardless of whatever advantages, whatever politicking he did as a fighter, mm-hmm. I think the part that frustrates fans like you and I, at least it frustrates me, is that Mayweather worked so much harder than anybody else he was getting in the ring with that I think it 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 kind of was like Floyd. You didn't need those advantages, dude. You work harder than anybody. Mm-hmm. Your skill set has evolved to a point where you can beat anybody on a level playing field. So why do you always have to? To him, it's it's a it's a birthright. It's earned by his status well, kind of, in society. As soon as he lost, that train came to a screeching halt. So that O was essential. Because well, the were, O is 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 the keystone, right? Uh, people were tuning in f- to watch him lose. That's uh, his last six fights. Most of the people that were buying, yeah, obviously he had a fan base. Sure, there's no doubt about that. You no can't doubt. question that. But there's a lot of guys that tuned in there. Please, this time maybe Floyd's going to lose. Maybe all these times I've paid sixty, seventy dollars, I've I've just been waiting. Please lose Floyd. But Broder lost a long time ago. Yeah. He lost a long time ago. It's the train wreck with him, though, baby. It is the train wreck. You know, in this fight against Adrian Granados, 
Granados, while he's kind of a poor man's version of Mauricio Herrera, you know, he's hot, not, as, not as skilled, not as skilled, but he's high activity. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's pretty accurate. It's just the way he gets to being in, in a position to land accurately probably gave Adrian Broner five, 600 opportunities to pot shot him. Yeah. And, but, you know, Broner being Broner, he only uh, threw about 250 pot shots instead. There were so many opportunities in this fight for Adrian Broner to seal the deal. Problem is, he doesn't have the eraser at this weight. No. Adrian Granados was game. He brought effort out through Broner by a ridiculous amount. A CompuBox said otherwise, though, at the end, which was very fucking weird. Yeah. Which, that, that should tell people right there. Don't always pay attention to what CompuBox. Well, says. it wasn't CompuBox; it was ShowStats, wasn't it? Was it ShowStats? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so okay. So, the, look, you. Sorry, sorry, CompuBox. <laughs> <laughs> no, you make a great point right there. That goes to the to, to the entire conversation leading up to this fight about the deck being stacked against Granados. Oh yeah. From the weights, right? Mm-hmm. It was 142 pounds. Then last minute, it goes to 147. It's take it or leave it. Then they show up on the scales. Broner weighs in fine. Everybody else is over. Then they switch out the scale, and then everybody makes weight. <laughs> I mean, it was one thing after the other. I there- told you in the, in the preview show, leading up to the fight, there'll be some bullshit going on. And sure shit, there was, man. All the way up to the fucking weigh-in. It's a guarantee. Yeah. It's a guarantee. You know, and and, and, it, and it goes to the behavior of the referee in the ring. It's like, dude, you're you're enabling this guy to not have to fight. What Broner does, I didn't know Kenny Bayless lived in Cincinnati too. <laughs> oh man, what look what Adrian Broner does is if there's a moment in a fight where he gets frustrated, it's like he shuts down. He goes into holding mode and mm-hmm. and, and, and grasping mode. Listen. At 135 pounds, those more accurate, those more crisp, those more spot-on punches that Broner was landing, though they were few and far between, he had great accuracy numbers. It was the fact that he couldn't let his hands go. But those punches at 135 fucking flatline people, Vin, they put people down to the canvas. He has no power at 147. And if you only throw as many punches per round as Adrian Broner does, and let's not forget that he has a few losses at 147 pounds. He becomes at the level of fighter. This does this is not speaking against Adrian Granados' heart. No. Okay, at all. But it puts him at that level of 10th, 12th, 13th best welterweight in the world. And do you want to be considered that if you're not even in the fucking division, that the only reason you qualify for the division is because you're too lazy to fight in the divisions that you should be in? Yeah, it's 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 sad, man. I'm it's telling like you, I fucking going around in circles. <laughs> I long, I long for the 135 pound Adrian Broner that you know five, four, five years ago when you saw on HBO just coming up, looks so fucking crisp and so good, so skilled, and you went, dude, this this guy is going to be a fucking problem for everybody. And then, sure shit, as soon as the bright light bright lights hit him. It went immediately to his fucking head. Thing shriveled up immediately, and it's just it's a it's a shame, dude. Because I think with the hard work and dedication, Adrian Broner could be one of the best 140 pound fighters in the world, no doubt. But he just don't, he ain't got it. No, and he it's not going to magically reappear. Did you notice? And Barry Hunter sure shit ain't going to get it out of him. <laughs> No. I mean, I respect Barry Hunter. He's a trainer from the D.C. area yeah. and has done a lot for a lot of kids in this area. But something about his fighters and fights, man, I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's more of an enabler than a trainer and just a guy that's along for the fucking ride. He knows his shit. I'm not questioning the guy's knowledge in boxing. He knows more than I've – he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. But it's just something is off in the corner in his fights. He doesn't – He's go get it. That's his – just go get it. It's like there's got to be a little bit more there. Some, there's got to be some instruction, something. Well, it's kind of a reputation of those, you know, the first four or five rounds of the fights. So the guys are just kind of like, dude, did you see how, like, when Broner came out to touch gloves, his chest was ashy. Like, he didn't even have, <laughs> I mean, I'm being dead serious. Go back and watch the film. I like, get, get some lotion, Shorty. <laughs> I mean, something. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he was very far from a lather coming out. And it looks that never way. good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But did you notice, Vin, that, I mean, at least to me, 
there was a pretty um, concerning difference in Adrian Broner's hand speed in this fight. Did he look yeah. a little slower to you? Oh, uh, at least a full tick slower for sure. He he could not, you know, and Granados gave him plenty of opportunities coming oh. in with his head, just out out in front with his head. Broner just couldn't couldn't fire quick enough. The trigger didn't didn't fire quick enough, and that's all that goes to show you is the the kid is just showing up, doing the minimum in training, cashing checks, and he'll do it as long as he can. And you know, I'm sure he's not going anywhere. People, he moves the needle again. I'm sure he moved the needle. I didn't see the ratings, but I'm sure they did well with Adrian oh, Broner plus Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it did. You know, I'm sure it did great. What was your scorecard for this fight? Because it was obviously a split decision. Well, that's it. I'll tell you this, and this will go to sh- this will goes to show people. I, I try to score fights as unbiasedly as possible. Uh, I had if Granados won that fight, that was a parlay hit for me at almost three hundred bucks with Peterson and Granados. So you, you had money on Granados. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, I scored it even, and I think that fight it, it could have gone one point either way is how I look at it. Uh, Broner won the fight. Fine. He's in his hometown. Guess what? But did you expect something else? No. Did you expect anything else? No, no, no. I mean, dude. Granados would have had to have done, he, he did a lot, but he had to do a lot more to come away with a win in in Broner's hometown. Look, Granados was dealt deuce seven unsuited. Yeah. And Adrian Broder was dealt pocket aces and the dealer whispered to him and said, yo, you getting quad aces. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, that was exactly the advantage that Adrian Broner had. It's it's not a disservice to speak about this, you know, in 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 the terms of what happened. It's not disparaging to Adrian Granados' performance. No. But the fact is, is that Adrian Broner is what you and I have been talking about for the last year or two. He's just average. He's flashy enough. He doesn't throw enough punches to be effective. He gets frustrated when he's overwhelmed. If Granados had any power whatsoever, I guarantee you Adrian Broner would have wilted like a leaf. He already reverted to his tactics that he did against Sean Porter that stunk that entire fight out. The only difference was is that Broner kind of had to be a little bit more aware mm-hmm. because even though Sean Porter doesn't ever get the most out of his punches except when he hits Pauli Malinaji, it's because he's not at range. He's on, he was on steroids that time, Ken. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Look, man, I scored this fight 96-94 to uh, for Adrian Granados, and I have no problem with Broner getting the win. I, I, I Look, the scorecards, if, if there's any part of this equation that actually kind of adds up to the story of the fight, it actually is the scorecards. People can look at the scorecards and couple those with all the events leading up to the fight, and then it becomes sinister. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then yeah. it becomes, oh, oh, man, this is fixed. But at the end of the day, every single round minus two or three was fucking super close. Oh, very close. Granados score. Granados was throwing more punches. He was I don't know, know, very I don't, ineffective aggression at times, yeah, man. And that, you get you got to be careful when you're scoring aggression. If it's ineffective, I don't care if you're stomping forward. You got to be doing something. And, and and it goes the other way. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're the guy like Broner that doesn't throw many punches, you need to be aware of. Okay, how many of these are really landing crisp? Right. He landed solidly, okay? He did enough against a guy that could not phase him. Both, was, both got tired at the end of the fight, too, in, an, in only a 10-round fight. Well, it was moved to a 10-round fight. Yeah. Again, another advantage to Adrian Broner. I think if this thing goes 12 rounds, I think Granados. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people that thought Granados won. It was a 10-round fight, split decision in Cincinnati, so be it. I don't have a problem with the decision, no, though. It is what it is. Yeah. Fixed or not, Broner's lazy ass did just enough again. If you thought it was a fix, I mean, you should have been crying well before this fight even started because it was obvious to everybody that this is what it is. What It is what it is. What it, is. Uh, yeah. it was what it was. I got this crazy, crazy gut feeling that, that uh, 75% of people that watch Broner fights they don't even know about the fight until about two or three days before the fight. <laughs> you are probably right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right let's get to this co-feature 
Um, David Avanesian versus Lamont Peterson, the return of the mythical Lamont Peterson. Jeez. How about uh, them shorts? He's been on some milk cartons. How about them shorts? <laughs> what was up with Lamont Peterson's shorts? I don't know, man. I have no idea. Th- those are the shortest boxing shorts I have ever seen. <laughs> oh. My man's, my man's uh, thighs are on swole. <laughs> Dude, he looked like uh, the Iceman. You know what I'm saying? Like, he looked like a 70s basketball player. Yeah. I will give him this, though, man. I mean, outside of, you know, you know, showing some leg, which is fine. It, you know, you got it. Show it, I guess, right? <laughs> hey, what is it? Look good, feel good? Hey, look good, feel good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Look, Lamont Peterson's kind of predictable to me, being an inactive fighter now. Mm-hmm. I called Vince that this would be a slow start from Peterson, but then he does what he does. He just gets inside and... and, and as, as 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 tempting as it is to come inside with Lamont Peterson for as long as he is, even at 147 pounds, and this is his full debut at 147 pounds, mm-hmm. he still is one hell of an infighter. He's a hell of a body puncher. He, it, go, he goes uh, downstairs beautifully. It now, just what, takes him six rounds to get started. It does, and it's frustrating, but that's just what he is. That's that's how he fights. Yeah, it's not going to change. You, you're just not going to change who he is as a fighter, and that's that's how they prepare for fights. That's their game plan, and it is what it is. It's been successful. It's not like it hasn't been successful. It'll lose you a, 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 a controversial decision, yeah, it'll, won't it? It'll, you'll, you'll be leaving some arenas heartbroken a handful of times in your career, but you'll win some big fights along the way, too. Yeah, you will. I I tell you what I'd like to see, you know, I, I loved all the stuff you just said of of what Peterson was able to do. Get inside, work the body, uh, you know, get in and out quickly. I'd like to see he kind of he works too much in a straight line for me when he when he's inside. There's no like step around the guard to to punch behind. He could give himself better angles and at times he doesn't do it. Uh-huh. But that, you know, fucking picking nets is what you're doing there. He put on a good good performance for being out of the ring for that long. I think Avanesian was, he obviously is what he is. He was game, at least game enough to make Peterson work. Uh, and, you know, I think at 147, Peterson's a player in that division, period. Yeah, I we, think. We saw him fight Danny Garcia. Well, most people felt he beat Danny, yeah. Danny Garcia. Had he had he started a little bit earlier, he probably would have. Yeah, I don't disagree with you about the about the straight lines thing. I think what you may have been alluding to was he has opportunities to do what Oscar Valdez and Vasily Lomachenko do. Yeah, just step around yeah. a little bit. Step- even even Timothy Bradley under Teddy Atlas against um, you know, against Jesse Vargas. Mm-hmm. I mean, he showed a propensity to be able to maneuver around the target in close. There's not very many people that do it effectively. It doesn't though. take much. I mean when you're inside but you're there. right, it's a slight <laughs> it's a slight step. It's a slight slide one way or the other. Yeah. Just to create a better angle for your punch to land more accurately and on the sweet spot. Right. He lands a lot of big punches, but he seems to miss the sweet spot. Look, I look at it like this. It's like going to Dunkin' Donuts, right? You go into Dunkin' Donuts and you're like, you know what, I need a big breakfast. Right. So I'm just gonna go ahead and get the the steak, egg and cheese bagel. Right. Right. And you're like <laughs> But you know what? I'm I'm at Dunkin' Donuts. I may as well get a donut too, right? So while you're there, get the donut. Everybody, everybody likes a mid mid morning nap. Yes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like eat the steak sandwich, but step to the side and eat the donut. <laughs> I like it. I oh, like it. Oh man, yeah, man. I, look, I'm a huge Lamont Peterson guy. I love to watch him fight because I think he's diverse. I, I I really do. I think his ability in the ring allows him to do many different things mm-hmm. many different things uh david avanesian i'm sorry man you brought the uh wba regular welterweight trophy into this fight i gotta give lamont peterson at least the props to come out and say yeah this this uh, doesn't count <laughs> but then again danny jacobs whole aura has been built off of that i'll tell you what he's lined up i mean he's obviously the mandatory for whoever wins uh thurman garcia yeah so I think Lamont Peterson gives fucking Keith Thurman one of the best fights of his life. Oh, I think he gives all of those guys a great fight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, good to see Lamont Peterson back in the ring. All right, let's get to some news and notes, man. Let's do it. Close this thing out. It's official. We talked about it on episode 148 about this thing going to purse bid, but it gets done at the uh, the last hour. Kel Brook will go back to 147 pounds and defend his IBF welterweight title against the mandatory challenger, Eddie, uh, Eddie, Eddie Tatlas, <laughs> Teddy Atlas's um, 
number 10 best fighter in all the world, the prospect Errol Spence getting his first. The challenger to the champ is better? The, the challenger is better? He is. Yeah, okay. He Just is. making sure. Vin, he's forgot about more boxing than you've ever seen before, Vin. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm well aware, sir. It's not a personal attack. Oh, man. Kell Brook versus Errol Spence. All right. This fight, Vince, if this did not happen after Kell Brook moving up to 160 pounds and taking the fucking bludgeoning, the uh, fractured eye socket, the mm. shattered orbital bone of, uh, of Kell Brook that he suffered against Gennady Golovkin, we may be talking about this in the same exact light that we have been talking about this for the last year. I want to ask you this, Vince. Does, does it sway you to where the public thinks it will sway you? Kell Brook can't survive against Errol Spence. He took that beat down against Triple G. Errol Spence is just as big, just as devastating, has all the prospects in the world, blah, blah, blah. Can you still look at this through the same unfiltered prism, okay, that you looked at it before? When this thing was two, five foot nine, two very muscular, the two biggest welterweights mm-hmm. in the world. Guess These it, are the two biggest welterweights in the world. And guess what Errol Spence's biggest advantage was as a welterweight is being the biggest welterweight every time he steps in the ring. He's not going to be that in this fight against Kell Brook. And, and of course, the question coming into this fight and and ever, that lies on everybody's mind is, you know, if, if Kell Brook can make 147 without killing himself to make it, they think this is going to be a good fight. But a lot of people don't think that's possible for him anymore. I, I, I say horseshit on that. I think he can make 147. He's never had a problem making it before. Uh, he walks. He probably walks around at 165 pounds. So, you know, yeah, making 160 was easy for him. But it's not, not to say he couldn't come back down to 147 just because he didn't go all the way back down. It was possible. He just didn't have to do it to get a big paycheck. So he stayed at 160. I, you know, I don't, I don't put as much into that. I think he makes the weight fine. Had enough time. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, uh, you, you got two sides of this. You got you got the U.K. and you got America. You got the Errol Spence crowd and you got the, the Kelbrook crowd. Uh, everybody on, in the U.K. is going to tell you that besides some really hardcore fans that know about Errol Spence, you're going to hear nothing, but Kelbrook's going to smash Errol Spence. And from over here, you're going to hear, I keep seeing Errol Spence is going to knock out Kelbrook in less than six rounds. Well, I think... You might want to, you might want to chill out a little bit with that. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves as to the monster that is Errol Spence because he knocked out Leonard Bundu or or, or whatever you whatever you're basing <laughs> this on the last fight or whatever. But you beat Algeria. It's somewhere. It's somewhere in the middle there, and I, I lie in the middle, and I think this is a one hundred percent. 50-50 fight, I think either one of these guys could win, and I think it's a it, it, honestly, it's a matchup that you didn't really, it was kind of on your radar with all these other big fights made, but this is seriously, I can't think of a better fight at welterweight to make right now, you know and I know Thurman Garcia is coming up in two weeks, but to me, Spence Brook is more, is almost more intriguing than Thurman Garcia is Yeah, because look, Thurman carried pretty good power through most of his run, mm-hmm. okay? Um, Danny Garcia has shown no power at 147 pounds. And plus, they're not the biggest guys in the world. You know what I mean? They deploy, you know, different tactics than... Spence can be physically imposing. Mm-hmm. He's got huge body game. He's very accurate. He's got power in both hands. Serves him very, very well. Kel Brook, what serves him well is that he's a very upright fighter. He does not back up too far, too fast in a straight line even though he is an upright fighter. Mm -hmm. He himself has good pop with both hands. But what I like about Kell Brook in this fight is that Kell Brook has shown an ability to neutralize opponents in the same fashion Mm -hmm. that Andre Ward and Vladimir Klitschko do. And now I'm not saying he's got a long track record of doing it like Andre Ward has made. He's made an entire career out of neutralizing people with his physicality. Vladimir Klitschko, much the same way. Now, Vladimir Klitschko had the eraser behind what Andre Ward tried to do. Right. That was really the difference between those two. And, you know, obviously the weight classes, but that's neither here nor there. Um, to me, in this fight, Kell Brook has the style to stymie Errol Spence. It doesn't mean he's going to win the fight, 
I just think he is a smart enough fighter. He's going to be fighting a guy the same exact size. Well, let's see if Errol, we're going to find out a whole lot about Errol Spence, Ken. Can he make an adjustment? Can he not fight just completely stalking and walking somebody down and destroying them, backing them into the ropes? Because this is not going to be that kind of fight. No, Kelbrook um, has a hell of a jab. Yeah, and he's strong as shit. You're not just going to push him over and move him back. And if he lands the punches, you know, any punches, any of the big punches that he landed on Triple G at 160 pounds on Errol Spence, the reaction from Errol Spence will be a little bit different than it was from Triple G. For those that pick Kel Brook to win this fight, the best thing that they can hope for is that he has been able to utilize this long layoff and recovery period to sort of trim himself down slowly to the weight he needs to get to. I think he'll be thanking his trainer for throwing in the towel when he did. Hey, extra time to train for Spence, right? <laughs> All right. I, look, I'm not going to give my prediction now. To me, no. this fight is 50-50. Yeah. Um, and what makes it 50-50 in my eyes, before the Golovkin fight, and that's why I opened this entire segment with the comments I did, is because before the Golovkin fight, I had this fight as a 60-40 fight in favor of Kell Brook. Mm -hmm. I just thought, in, in my opinion, it's an equally sized match. Kell Brook is the superior fighter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Errol Spence has things that Kell Brook cannot do. Kell Brook's, his strategy, his tactics, his style, his size are the perfect neutralizing agent for a force like Errol Spence. This thing is only 50-50 to me now, Vin, and I'm, again, I'm not picking my winner right now because of the Golovkin fight. Yeah, I, I, you can't argue with that. I mean, obviously, a, a loss like that and a pounding, whether it was short or not, uh, takes a little bit out of you. A little, a little from the psyche and just a little physically out of you. Well, Sheffield, England's going to get a hell of a welterweight fight one way or the other. Yes, they are. All right. Let's keep it in the U.K. Now, after much debate uh, back and forth in uh, the lead-up to a very big fight in the U.K. Um, last year, we had been hearing time and time again about this vaunted ability, this legendary ability, this really X factor that was going to push this fighter over the top against his perceived um, domestic rival. And it was the thinking brain <laughs> of Scott Quigg. Scott now, Quigg makes an appearance, huh? Scott Quigg's thinking brain. And it, look, the thinking brain was going to be, that was going to be the kryptonite. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that was going to be the game changer. Against, Separated them. It, it, it is. It, it's still to this day is the difference in the eyes <laughs> of Scott Quigg. But I have to give Scott Quigg credit for the first time, and there's proof of this now, that the vaunted thinking brain of Scott Quigg has been put to use is in the firing of Joe Gallagher. As Scott Quigg heads to the wild card gym in Hollywood, California, and joins the team of Freddie Roach. Well, I don't think we'll be seeing uh, Scott Quigg sitting high guard for five, six rounds anymore because Freddie Roach ain't about that shit. No. And I actually think that... You know, as limited as I think Quigg is as a fighter, and not that's not to say like he's he's terrible. He's not. Scott Quigg can compete in the top ten of that division. That's he can be in some good fights. I think Freddie Roach, you know, maybe a trainer that's on the downside of 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 when he had his better days. He's still a guy that can bring uh, a little bit more offense out of a guy. It's what he's always been able to do. He's an offensive trainer, mm -hmm. so I I think that could work to Quigg's favor. You know, I don't know how far it takes him in the end, but or at least get a, a more exciting version of Scott Quigg. Yeah, I mean, he's got to do something to crack into the... He, he of all people, I mean, maybe in the United Kingdom, if he wants to be that guy that just fight, faces domestic talent, mm -hmm. fights two or three times a year, makes, you know, 250, 300,000 pounds every fight, he could have that career because he's young enough for the next five or six careers. He, I mean, five or six years, he could have a Kevin Mitchell-esque career. Yeah. You know, he could fight a lot. He can make good money. He can retire. I don't know if he's as balls to the wall as a guy like Kevin Mitchell, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about limited fighters. Right. Mickey Ward-type fighters, right? Right, right. Guys that are just tough enough and just dumb enough to give us what they got. But here's the thing. Scott Quigg will become a punchline if he only fights once or twice a year. Now, I know he, he suffered a broken jaw in the Frampton fight. I get it. Well, guess what? Get back in the ring. Come to the United States. Maybe this is his entryway into the fights that he wants. Maybe if he aligns himself with a little bit. He went from one, you know, I guess perceived 
celebrity trainer. <laughs> I don't know. Perceived. I think there were some uninformed people that voted for him as trainer of the year uh, for that, Ring Magazine. Oh man, that is that's a that's a bruise on the on the career of Ring Magazine. I think this there. is the best thing that Scott Quigg could have ever done, and I don't know if it gets him any closer to a to a rematch with Frampton or gets him any closer to well, that's uh, what he's a fight chasing. with Leo Santa Cruz. Yeah, look, he's he had to come to America. That's where the big fights are. He's chasing Frampton again. You 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 know he's going to be trying to get that fight that rematch in, until his dying day he's like frampton me thinking brain tells me that frampton's fighting in the united states now yeah i better i better follow his thinking brain may be letting him down <laughs> we'll see we'll hey, see i like the move i like it yeah joe gallagher's a schlep yes. if there ever was a charlatan hey J- joe gallagher may have been a tough boxer in his day but yeah that doesn't just because you <laughs> box doesn't mean you're a great trainer man it's completely different Hey, man, I think he just, uh, you know, when the wave comes in, you just ride it sometimes, right? You don't let it knock you out. Right. You're like, hey, all these other good fighters are winning titles. We'll just kind of blend in. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? We'll just ride the wave in. Hey, everybody, everybody in the U.K. is a is a world champion. It's exactly what Joe Gallagher did. Oh, he definitely did. Uh, all the way to a Ring Magazine Trainer of the Year. Good for him. Hallelujah. Um, all right. Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Australia. Where will Manny Pacquiao land on his world tour? Uh, yes, the saga of Manny Pacquiao continues, Ken. And Bob Arum says that Amir Khan is not happening. Can I just say this? Sure. I find it so fucking uninteresting. I really don't care. Announce, I don't give a shit where it is. Then Amir Khan's involved in this talk. Amir Khan. It's your boy. Dude, he's... It's your lead, boy, Blue. He's, he's leading a fucking pseudo-reality TV lifestyle right now. <laughs> Getting caught fucking wanking on, on Skype. Uh, jerks off on Skype. His wife and his his parents are feuding. I I think it was Brooke that that coined him the Kandashians. <laughs> I think he's a little wrapped up in his own shit. Khan just worried about keeping his keeping his name in the news. Khan just worried about keeping Khan. Well, I, you know what? If he's going to fight Pacquiao, I will tune in because that will probably be the uh, final loss <laughs> and the end. Of Amir Khan's career. Oh, Pacquiao knocks out Khan inside a six. It will guarantee. Not, it will not be the wrath of Khan. It will be the wrath of Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Bob Arum and uh, Michael Khan's seem to be completely on different planets still. <laughs> Bob Arum's like, no, Amir Khan's not happening. Michael Khan's is like, Amir Khan, close to being done. <laughs> I don't get it, man. How does, how does, I don't understand like what happens when that, when that, Top rank and Team Pacquiao get in the room. It's like, what 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 are you talking about? What are you talking about? For all we know, Michael Kahn's made a a deal. Manny Pacquiao made a deal for them to take less pay that they were going to be guaranteed their their minimum, which I guess was twenty million dollars on on the original contract. And if they don't get that twenty million dollars. Maybe they get to go wherever they want. So maybe Khan's is like, I'm making deals. I got deals in Abu Dhabi. They're going to give us a $20 million appearance fee. Well, Khan's uh, cut of the gate. Khan's has got to show his worth at this point because if I'm Pacquiao, I don't, you know, what the hell is he even around? Are you telling me between Bob Arum, Freddie Roach, and Manny Pacquiao? And Boo-Boo you, or you, Babu? What's his name? <laughs> Boo-Boo. Yeah, Boo-Boo Andre. Uh, you can't tell me with those guys in your, in your corner that you can't steer your career in the right direction. Michael Kahn's is just another hand in the pocket. I I don't get it. There's like 10,000 hands in, in the yeah. Pacquiao pockets, aren't yeah, there? Exactly. All right. To be continued. Awesome. Um, and to close out episode 149, Vin, you got your ticket for Lomachenko Sosa yet? Yes, sir. Ringside, baby. Oh, there you go, man. Lomachenko versus Sosa. I know a lot of our listeners are trying to go to the fight. Yeah, I've talked to a few people that are going. Um, I, I know one thing. If you want tickets, uh, I'm not sure there's very many left because I, I was on the pick a seat where you actually click and pick your seat, and the dots were sprinkled. Pac-Man ate almost all of them. <laughs> right. Man, I wish I could go with you, but I'm going to have probably a two- or three-week-old baby at that time. Then. You'll be knee-deep in dirty diapers, bud. <clears throat> Enjoy. Brian King thinks I'm a bitch because I won't uh, go with a newborn baby. <laughs> they do make those things you can strap the baby to your chest now, right? The baby Bjorns? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. Free ticket. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so Vin's heading to Lomachenko versus Sosa. Hit him up if you're going to the fight as it will be hosted here at the MGM National Harbor in the Washington, D.C. area, Oxon Hill, Maryland. But that will do it for episode 149, my friend. 
C'est la vie. C'est la vie to Deontay Wilder's right hand. <laughs> we'll see. All right, we'll see you next time on episode 150 as Vince and I will have a special guest on the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast and some appearances by your favorite boxing scribes and boxing minds out there in the boxing landscape today. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VinceCummings81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. and drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, and of course, Spreaker. So next week, we're bringing you the post fight of Wilder versus Washington in a preview of Keith Thurman versus Danny Garcia. Uh oh. Starting to get them feels for Keith Thurman, Ken. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.